welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. All right, welcome again to the Defender Podcast. It's February 16th. I'm Rick Morton coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Herbie is not with us today. Um, so I hope that means that the, some of the rest of you continue to listen because it's actually going to be uh, a great time that we're going to have together. But he's uh, out visiting with some of our partners, and uh, and so I'm getting to fly solo today. And uh, and we're pretty excited about what we're going to get to talk about today and, and the, the the folks that, uh, that we're sitting down with because this kind of feels a little bit like uh, just hanging out with family and talking. And... Uh, and so before we get started, let's uh, let's kind of, you know, get a little of the business out of the way. And, and we're going to talk about the Roadmap to International Adoption webinar. Uh, if you're considering international adoption, but you're stuck with maybe too many questions or a list of things that just kind of feel like you can't quite nail down, we want to invite you to join in this upcoming webinar. Um, in the Roadmap to International Adoption, you're going to cover topics like the application process. What's a home study? What does travel look like? Uh, how can you finance your adoption and and more? Um, you can register to participate in the Roadmap to International Adoption by going to lifelinechild.org backslash information dash meetings. That's lifelinechild.org backslash information meetings. Uh, you'll find registration information, uh, some other things there to help and contact information to learn more uh, if you would like to do that. Well, today um, I'm really excited to be able to sit down with a couple of dear friends and uh, and and really folks that we just kind of consider to be part of our tribe. Um, and so we're going to today be talking to uh, Madison and, and Yuri Pericotti. Uh They are uh, strategic partners with Lifeline in our unadopted ministry in Ukraine. Um, there are so many things I could say about um, about who they are and and what they are and. Uh, I just feel like our lives have been intertwined for a long time in a lot of different ways. Um, but we are, we're thrilled that we have an opportunity here at Lifeline to partner with the ministry uh, that they have in Ukraine and the way that they're serving orphan and vulnerable children and, and doing it in, in such a, a strategic way to, to focus on the gospel in the midst of um, doing this thing that the Lord's called us out to do. And so, um, Madison, Yuri, welcome. Thank you. We, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways. It really, it, it's been funny, as, even as we were preparing um, to, to do the interview, um, it's like, I, good grief, like I've got about five hours worth of questions that we could, we could go through just because, um, you know, knowing so much and knowing so much of the intricacy. Um, the one thing we're going to promise not to do, okay, is Yuri and I are not going to talk college football. Um, we could, and and you would find out really quickly that he knows more than any Ukrainian on the planet about American college football, and uh, and would put me in the shade. Um, but he is, uh, among other things, uh, one of the biggest LSU fans uh, that I think I've ever been around. Uh, yeah. He's even wearing LSU colors today. Be converted to purple and gold. I didn't give him a choice, but uh, it was in the family, in my family, so he didn't have a choice. But he has been very loyal to the Tigers through the ups and the downs and embrace the Louisiana culture. So, uh, yeah, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of his pride for the I, Tigers. I even, I even do when people ask me, where are you acting from? I'll say, I'm Cajun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Louisiana for some reason. 
<laughs> you know, and, and honestly, having spent a good bit of time in Cajun country, people really don't know the difference either, do they? So it, it, it kind of works out all right. Um, well, that's awesome. Well, I, um, you know, I think maybe the way for us to jump in is is just to, to talk a little bit about before we even get to what you're doing now and what the Lord has you doing at the moment um, to really just kind of let the folks that are listening to the podcast get to know you a little bit. Um, so tell us a little bit about about your family and, and just how God brought you together and and really kind of gave you this this common heart for uh, the fatherless in um, especially the fatherless in, in Eastern Europe. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Birmingham and uh, was uh, first time I actually went to Ukraine. I was 12. My parents adopted my siblings from there and it snowballed into short term mission trips and them kind of uh, really trusting me and trusting the people on the other end to let me go at 15, 16, 17 on these short term trips. And uh, so that's kind of where we came. I came from. And then Yura was born in the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I grew up in the east, uh, Lugansk, about 40 miles from Russian border big city, half million people population. And uh, uh, yeah, we met in 2008. Yeah, we met at a camp for uh, at-risk kids, social orphans, orphans. Uh, we were working with a missionary that was actually there on the ground from Louisiana. And uh, I was there on a short-term trip. Your was working as the camp kind of maintenance electrician guy. That's his uh, trade, his actual uh, learned trade. And so uh, we met there and we were, we became friends. And so that was 2008 and 2010, uh, we started dating long distance. I was still in college. He was in seminary. Using Skype. Yeah, we were using Skype. That was before iPhones, people. Way so. before that was cool too, right? <laughs> like everybody, everybody's all about Zoom now. And, and oh, uh, no. you you had all the bugs worked out of that system a long time before. I mean, like the, we like used calling cards. We loaded money on cards yeah. so we could call each other. Like 90 and, cents a minute. <laughs> yeah, it was pricey. It was worth it, worth every penny. So we uh, got married in 2011 in Alabama, in Birmingham and kind of went back and forth. We, we lived in Lugansk for a little bit, but then because of paperwork things, eventually we came back to the States um, after we had been married about, yeah, about a year. And I was pregnant with our first child and we ended up in Baldwin County in the Gulf Shores, Orange Beach area working down there and uh, really wanted to get back to Ukraine. I mean, we knew that the Lord had called us to the mission field. I, I had felt that specific assignment when I was 15 on a mission trip and we had met at the camp you know, for kids, uh, vulnerable kids. And so we knew that that was going to be a part of our story. Um, and amidst that frustration of being stuck in paperwork and just really not being able to go, uh, the war started in 2014 in Ukraine, which if you, if you don't much know much about it, Russia uh, invaded Crimea and illegally annexed it, which is the peninsula at the bottom of, of Ukraine in the Black Sea, as well as the eastern front of Ukraine, which is where Donetsk, Lugansk, all these places where we had been. So it wasn't a possibility for us to go back. Yura's family had to abandon their home, became one of some of the millions of Ukrainians who've been displaced for the last eight years. So they left for Western Ukraine. We were frustrated because we wanted to go back and couldn't. And the Lord kind of led us on this journey where we ended up becoming foster parents because we thought, well, we really want to serve vulnerable children. We weren't at a point um, in our family where we were just having biological kids and weren't really at a point where we were considering adoption. And so we said, well, why don't, why don't we do foster care truly to help work for reunification? And we learned so much in those three years of fostering, um, made a lot of mistakes, uh, said a lot of yeses when we should have said no's, learned what it's like to live without margin um, and what it's like to have, to have, you know, boundaries and things like that. But uh, we learned so much from those three years. And then actually I 
got on the other side of it once we had had our third biological kid. And I said, okay, we we're, our home's not really open right now, but what can I do? And so I started co-leading those classes for foster parents to train foster and adoptive parents and just fell in love with that aspect of it. So all that to say, those six years were filled with lots of longings and desirings to get back to Ukraine or really anywhere else. We were willing to go anywhere, but having the Russian language as our base really allowed it to be the ideal spot. So you, do you want to uh, talk about how we picked Odessa? Yeah, and we prayed like, when we want to do it. Eventually we set up the date and uh, mm -hmm. uh, it was spring of 2018. And uh, before that, we decided to go on a couple uh, spy trips, trying to figure out where we want to go because East was not a, available and uh, we just kind of think of where we need to be. And uh, we went a couple cities, Lviv, uh, uh, and I have a friend in Odessa, we went there. First time was very miserable. It was uh, a tough, it was a tough trip. I think I was pregnant. It was and, a tough uh, trip. And I thought, well, maybe we, it's not, it's, that's not the city. Uh, and then we tried again, like in seven or eight months again, we went there and uh, and it was everything went just artificial smooth. Smooth, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then we thought, okay, God, maybe that's going to be the place. And we moved to Odessa, which is kind of like a Ukrainian New Orleans. Mm -hmm. uh, Port city. That's a great, that is really a great illustration <laughs> mm -hmm. for Odessa. A multicultural place. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, we so, uh, on the Black Sea and we uh, we moved. So we moved from one beach, the Alabama, 13 miles of Alabama Beach to the uh, the Black Sea. The, the sand is not the same, but we uh, And but people we on do, do you have our beach? It's so beautiful. Like, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. Compared to the you just, smile, you just smile and nod at some point and <laughs> yes, say, yeah, do. they're great. Yes, do. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah, we... Um, yeah, I, Odessa is one of those cities that I think... Um, it's kind of one of those gems in Europe that people don't know about. And it, it's a fairly young city by comparison to most of Europe and, and, and really is a crossroads of all kinds of people from all kinds of places and, and you know, the ministry opportunities that, that come along with that. I, you know, I, I want to I just kind of want to say in, in and thanks for sharing, you know, kind of that part of your story, um, because I, I think sometimes in in us being called into this work and called into um you know magnifying christ by caring for for vulnerable children and, and vulnerable families that um like it's hard <laughs> and it's and and the journeys are sometimes unexpected and 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 many times i think we sit on the sidelines and wait until that one thing that we that we really think we're super passionate about or we think we've been called to and, and something that has been um, just really cool about um, b being around your story and kind of following you guys as you've, uh, you know, as you, as you walk through all of this is to see that, that the Lord has like given you the courage at every step just to say, what can we do here and what can we do now? And to see just the way God is, has layered all of those things together to get you ready for the thing um, you know, that, he, that he's put in front of you right now and that he really hasn't, you know, he didn't, he doesn't waste anything. All oh, of those things add up. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking about, I think it was May, 2017, we were at a conference and we spent a good time talking to you and Mila was only about six months old. So that's our third biological yeah. child. And we, uh, we were pushing her in a stroller and we sat there and talked to you at the conference and we were like, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what city we just know we're trying to leave next spring. And I remember in May of 2018 thinking, wow, it's been a year since we talked with Rick and look where we are now. I mean, we, right. we took 15 suitcases and our three kids who were five, three and 15 months. And now we live on the other side of the world and all, all that God did in such a short span of time after that long period of 
what we felt like was frustration, what was God's mercy in preparing us for the work that he would have us doing now. And I think just, you know, like I love the testimony of God's faithfulness that in, you know, you haven't been able to see the future. Like you haven't been able to put all the pieces together and know, but, but I think, you know, your lives are a testimony to the fact that um, God's had you all the way through the process. And, and when you can't see clearly, he can. And, and so it's really a story of kind of doing that next right step and kind of doing that next right thing. Um, and, and I just, you know, I, I, I love that about you guys and I love that about your family. And, and that's, that's part of why, um, we love so much how we're able to partner together and, and, and what we're able to, to do together because, um, that's, that's all of us. Um, you know, I, none of us would have thought about, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago and written the script to be sitting in the places where we're sitting, probably doing the things that we're doing. Um, with our families shaped the way they are and lots of things. And, and yet um, we can look back and, and see that God has been working and preparing and, you know, kind of creating, you know, those, those opportunities. Um, obviously Ukraine is, is central to this story, right? Um, we wouldn't have Yuri sitting here if we didn't have Ukraine. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of Ukraine sitting around this table and, and in the extended parts. We were laughing about, you know, earlier about um, about a converted LSU fan over here who's become probably the most passionate LSU Tiger I think I've ever met. Um, but we're like screaming like crazy at the television every night in our home uh, watching Ukraine perform in the Winter Olympics and going like, our country is, yeah. you know, is, is doing some pretty cool stuff right now. And, and, yeah. and no, our so, kids are too. They get excited about <laughs> when Ukraine does, gets a medal, places, does something, they, they get excited. And like too. every, I mean, this is kind of it, like, right, every four years, this is the, this is the time to shine. Um, but, but honestly, there are, there are realities in, uh, in Ukraine, just like there are realities in America about the vulnerability of children and about kids that are easily slipping through the cracks and, and vulnerable um, just talk a little bit about how the Lord called the two of you to this work. Like what, what did he show you and, and, and what did you experience? And then what is it that the Lord's awakened your hearts to in Ukraine? What's the, like, what's the thing that you feel like, um, that, that God is, is using you to do in, um, in Ukraine? Well, you know, when we, when we wanted to go to Ukraine and we wanted to go somewhere, I think part of just our story was always interwoven with working, meeting at a camp where there were vulnerable children, social orphans, which if, I'll explain social orphan if, sure. if people don't know the term, but uh, it's children who have families who are either unable or unwilling to care for them. So in Ukraine, about 80 to 90% of children in orphanages are actually social orphans. So they don't, their parental rights are not terminated. Their families didn't give them up. They actually have uh, come to the orphanage because maybe their family's impoverished and the orphanage will take that child in and, and feed them and clothe them and board them. And it starts out as five days a week home on the weekends and then the taste of freedom. Oh, OK, we'll just come home on the holidays. And so then you're dealing with thousands of children in Ukraine who have no attachment or very little attachment and relationship with their birth family. And yet, but yet they're not adoptable either. So there's, there's, they're really stuck in limbo. So uh, we kind of knew that that would always be a part of our story. And uh, in Ukraine, regardless of what's happening with this previous war, regardless of what's happening now, 
there will always be vulnerable children there. There will always be these families who are in need. And so we kind of wanted to see what does it look like to step in and how, how does the cycle break? Right. Because sometimes orphans grow up and get out of the orphanage and then they have babies and have more orphans. Or sometimes the same thing happens. They, the, the mom who was a social orphan herself grew up in the orphanage and thinks, well, I'm fine. So I'll just send my kids and they'll be fine. And so we just, we wanted to understand more about that need maybe how the church could step in and fill it. And we don't pretend to be experts. There are Ukrainians who are already working on the ground, who've been doing this and will do this, you know, before and after us. And so we just wanted to come in and say, well, who's already working on the ground? Who's already doing these kinds of things? Did you want to add about maybe like the need, the... Pause. You, you can talk about the like situation with vulnerable children, fatherlessness, mm. things like that. And uh, um, yeah, I don't know, probably the same thing like in the U.S. Uh, it's not desirable area to be participating. Right. So many churches cannot, like, it's such a mess. I, I don't see a lot of reward and uh, I don't want to even touch it. And so that's kind of like, a, I think a, our, our passion was, how can we wake up volunteers in the church or people in the church to see, you know, catch the fire mm-hmm. uh, and uh, see those fatherless because uh, so many, even the kids who not going to the orphanage, they stay at home and they are. Look, we have a boys club and uh, we have a, probably seventy percent of his fatherless, or father sailor. He's never come back, or he left, or he, he never met him, and uh, they they grew up uh, just uh, you know on the streets. And you look at them and break my heart because sometimes parents have no time for them. Uh, school do not want those kids. George do not want those kids. And the street says, "Yeah, come on." Uh, we're waiting for you and so i'm just praying the church will be like yeah we won't we won't be we want to step in this gap and uh, uh even though it's messy it's very messy for sure and and you know there's like in all those situations there's complexity that is that extends beyond kind of our thoughts of like nuclear family mm-hmm. and the problems that we kind of see in the safe places that we tend to go and reside and and all that, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've said to a lot of churches over the years, um, when we think about this, one of the things that we know that's not going to happen in the church is these kids are never going to show up on the doorstep of the church and and like demand to be served. Like they, they're not, they're, they're voiceless, they're, they're resourceless, they're, they're out of sight and out of mind, and if we're not mindful of going to them there's probably no way that they're coming to us. And, and so I, I think, and, and then you, you add the complexity of, of like what y'all are talking about with regard to, um, you know, kind of the, even the concept of, of social orphans. And, and that's, that's different than, than what we've experienced by and large in the U S we, we don't think about, we have the same problems. We don't think about them in the same way. Um, and, and just about how many families in Ukraine really struggle because they have children with disabilities or they have children with, um, you know, with, with needs that kind of outpace what the family believes that they can provide. And, and so there is a, you know, there is kind of a, a, a cultural piece to this that, um, that the that the social way of dealing with things, the government's way of kind of providing and helping to provide stability for those kids, um, 
the one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't provide connection. It doesn't provide, you know, nurture. It doesn't, it provides food and clothing and shelter and, you know, takes care of their, their physical needs. And, um, and, and so, yeah, the church has to stand in the gap. And so as you're talking about the boys club and what you do, um, you know, you're there and, and, and taking these kids who, who are kind of unknown cast to the side, nobody, nobody's really mindful of them. Um, a lot of it is just having the ministry of presence. <laughs> it's just showing up and, and being there and, and, and bringing in, um, just bringing who you are and what you have. And I think sometimes it's like a, it's hidden group. They are there, but they look, you're not in, and I truly think so many believers in Ukraine, they're not participating or not trying to help in this problematic area just simply because they did not know. I give you an example. Until I was 21 year old, I thought kids with Down syndrome just cannot think, cannot talk, just absolutely look, there is nothing, kind of shell. Until I met someone who has a relative who, with Down syndrome, and I'm like, wow, we can have a conversation. And my mind was blown. But again, I was just, not because I was evil, I was just completely, completely had zero knowledge. Well, and that's, and part of, that's part of Soviet culture. Right. So during Soviet Union times, those with disabilities, those who were different, um, if their family w chose not to take care of them, which most families did not, they were put in orphanages that were way outside the city. So if you, uh, the, the special needs orphanages, the high level care orphanages, those are all hours outside the city because they didn't want society to be inclusive. Yeah, Everyone should be equal. Oh, so because the Soviet Union, the best, we have no problems, yeah. you know, like that yeah. mentality. So that still now, what is it, 30 years later, is still uh, an undergirding society. So uh, those with special needs are not inclusive. Schools are, are are inclusive, and I'm doing air quotes with my mm -hmm. hands. Uh, but there's no aids. There's no help. There's no interpreters. There's no there's no kind of support system there. And the teachers aren't trained. They're overwhelmed. I mean, the class sizes could be up to 40 kids, even in an elementary school class, which any teacher would tell you is really really difficult to make any progress and then you add a child with special needs and what are you supposed to do with them if you if you don't you're not you're not trained so uh we've seen families with special needs really struggle and and i want to say all these connections that we were able to make was because we came on the ground and we said we don't want to start our own thing and we got connected with heritage ukraine which yeah. is another partner of unadopted and um slavic and alona are the are the head of heritage and so all these connections we've been able to make especially that first year and two years that we were in ukraine were because of heritage and the work that they were already doing with some at-risk kids uh with kids who have autism with kids who have special needs and special needs orphanages um and then that first summer with the deaf community as well and so we're really thankful that god brought us to kind of come alongside them and they're doing what God's called them to do. And we're just a little piece of that. And then there's some other things God's called us to outside of that. And so able being able to work with somebody on the ground who was already doing the thing was the key that we didn't want to come in with that white knight mentality, yeah. uh, riding on a horse, trying to save all the people. Right. Uh, Cause we can't do that. That's well, not us. And, and I think that's, that's kind of important. I think to point out about, you know, even unadopted and sort of the whole philosophy that we that we come at this with. And and the idea is not that we see a problem and so we make a plan and we go fix it. You know, we say internally a lot here that we're looking for a who before we're looking for a what. Um, and so who is it that God's called? Who Who is it that God's given a vision and and has given an opportunity to, you know, to minister? And then what do they need in order to be able to to live out and to accomplish that vision. And, and, you know, and, and we're, we're looking for places where 
there's an interest in involving the local church and, and like bringing the body of Christ to bear and not doing this outside of the church or away from the church, but doing it through the church. Um, but, but the example that, that you all are, are presenting in the way that you're working with heritage is, is very much who, like who we all want to be. And, and that is that we take the gifts and the talents and the abilities and all the stuff that God's given us. And we come alongside those, those local, you know, pieces of vision that God's raised up and, and we build capacity. We help, we, we use the things that we've been given in order to, in order to boost and to help, you know, help the church to be able to, to do better. And, and like the number of ways that, um, we could literally sit here and talk for hours about, about the number of ways of, of the little bitty things that are a part of both of your experiences and your training and all those things that find their way into serving heritage and serving the families in that community and working with the deaf community and with the people that you're inviting into your home through, you know, through that, I guess, deaf club. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I know, I know what it is. It's, you know, and, and you, we, we definitely want to, you don't want to talk about that. The idea of coming alongside boys that are that don't have a father figure and that you know desperately need that that male influence and um, and in the way that you you know you're doing that and and so um, maybe maybe the thing because I I do think it like your ministry is not just one thing like there are a lot of different things that that God's using you to do and and so. Maybe we could just talk in a little detail about a few of those things and just kind of give a little highlight um, of, you know, of some of the things. So like the, uh, you know, the deaf students and, and, you know, in the deaf community there in Odessa and the way that you guys have kind of found a niche to, um, you know, to make the gospel real to a bunch of people who are struggling to be even connected in the middle of their own society. Yeah, yeah so we're, uh, we're missionaries with Globe International. And one of the things that's really important with Globe is unreached people groups. And so they do encourage all the missionaries, if they're not specifically going to an unreached people group, you know, in the 1040 window or something like that, to find an unreached people group or an unengaged people group where you are. So when we moved initially because of the multicultural aspect of Odessa, we thought it would be a Muslim people group. There are lots of uh, people, students, uh, business trades people from the Horn of Africa, from India, from the Middle East. So we thought that that would be it. And, and maybe it still be one day. We're, we're very open handed with what God wants, you know, what he's doing and what he's given mm -hmm. us. But uh, the unreached people group that we became engaged with is the deaf. Um, collectively, the deaf are the largest unreached people group in the world. Uh, and even though different countries and regions have different sign languages. So we, we learned RS learning, learning, always learning, uh, RSL, which is Russian sign language. People in America use American sign language, uh, two deaf people, you know, somebody from Uganda, uh, with, uh, which is another right. partner of unadopted. Right. They could talk with uh, somebody who knows ASL and they could find way more in common within about five minutes than anybody who speaks their language, you know? So if we ever, I hope one day we have a team of, um, interpreters and deaf Americans who can come to serve at camp with Heritage Ukraine with the deaf teens and they'll find something in common and be able to communicate way faster than me who I've been learning for three years Russian Sign Language that that intimate kind of uh, deep connection is there because they're deaf and so um, we didn't know that we came to camp in 2018 Heritage was hosting the first camp for deaf teenagers there had been ones for adults and families but not for teens so there were teens from two different orphanages 
orphanage boarding schools. So like I mentioned earlier, most of those kids are not orphans. They're going to that school because if you're deaf, you can't go to a regular school. Right. You have to go to the boarding school where they'll, you know, have all the lessons in sign language. So we came and God just lit a fire in our hearts, you know, and I, I grew up in church in Birmingham watching Kim Christenberry <laughs> interpret uh, an ASL. And I just, I always had it in the back of my mind. Well, that would be something cool to learn. That would be something cool to learn. And then God brought this all the way around, you know, and has, has started that passion within us. So we, um, were a part of the camp with, with these deaf teens. And, and after that started taking the Russian sign language classes, became really good friends with this couple, Roma and Daniela and they're believers. They're both deaf and they've been very involved in the ministry as well. And, uh, and the summer of 2020, uh, the camp was canceled for deaf teens because sure. of COVID. We had some volunteers get sick and we were super bummed out. I thought we got, we got to do something. Our house is 10 minutes from this orphanage boarding school, the main one. So what can we do? Well, the kids who aren't staying there during the week, because if they're staying there, they can't leave. But the ones who live close, why don't we just have them over to our house and play board games? Like, they, man, they love Uno. They will get down. They have their own rules too. Like they, it's like Ukrainian rules and then the Ukrainian deaf rules and they just love Uno. So uh, they, they'll come play like different board games, card games, whatever. So we said, okay, Roma, why don't you come? And we'll all play together. And the first couple times, like, we're just gonna play board games. I don't wanna freak them out. Uh, their parents sometimes might be opposed to them coming to some sort of church function. And so we said, well, we'll just make it a board game night. And it has turned into a weekly opportunity for sharing the gospel and Russian sign language and discipleship, uh, specifically of uh, two or three who come, kids who come regularly. I mean, we miss them dearly while we're here, but it has been really cool to see them progress in their trust in the Lord. And none of them have trusted in the Lord yet. This is a long game. This is a long process of discipleship, but Roma is so invested and we're just there to support. So our house provides, uh, you know, a space, like a warm, open space. Their parents are okay with them coming there. Uh, at first, there's probably some intrigues like, oh, this American, you know, like, what is she up to? Uh, but now now I'm like old news. So, uh, and then with, thank, thankfully, with the support of Unadopted and with Lifeline, we're able to just order pizza every Sunday for them. That's a treat for us. It's a treat. We do have Domino's in Ukraine. So it's very nice uh, Sunday situation, but that's the easiest way to feed a bunch of teenagers. Sure. And so uh, that has become a staple and part of our rhythm and our ministry and our family and our kids learning to communicate, to be inclusive and to invite whoever it is into our home. So we're, I, I sit there at that table every week and I just, I can't believe I get to a front seat yeah. to watch Roma sharing the gospel and sharing those stories with those kids. Yeah. And I like, I don't want to miss this because I know, you know, I know there are people that are, that are listening to the podcast that are um, really in tune with the conversation of unreached and, and unengaged people groups. And, and we think about like these, these people that are living in, you know, remote villages up in the mountains somewhere speaking a really, you know, like kind of unique dialect or something. And, and, and so we understand in that environment, like not having access to the scriptures in your own language. We understand not, not having connections with the outside where the gospel has, has been brought in. Um, I don't think we think about the deaf community like that. But um, but the more and more that that we that I personally have gotten to know and and obviously Kim and Bill Christenberry are, um, you know, like they're rock stars. Yes, but they're also dear friends. And and they've really patiently, you know, kind of taught us a lot of things over time. And and that's exactly the condition that the deaf community is living in um, in Ukraine, 
also here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's like, a hidden people group. It right. really is because they're right there in plain sight. But, I mean, statistically, do you want to share maybe the statistics about the death in Odessa? Um, yeah, in Odessa, we have a, under 3,000 in the city mm-hmm. area. It's like a, a, in the city, probably 2,000, uh, our Odessa region, probably 3,000. And we have like 100 believers. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So that's 0.05%. Right. And and so by every definition that's out there about an unreached, unengaged people group, they fit and they fit, uh, they fit in some of the, you know, like the most dire need and, and greatest pockets of, um, you know, of, of, of lack of engagement. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's why, you know, ultimately this is important and, and, and so it, but it's, but it's so cool again, to see the way that God created and cultivated a heart with, with, you know, both of you and, and then in a very unexpected way, planted you in a place where all of that was kind of able to come together and to, mm-hmm. you know, to take root. And, and, and I think it, it also, you know, I want to point out that we, you know, part of what we dream about and part of what we aspire to is, is we want, we want believers and we want churches here who have capacity in that area to, you know, as we're emerging from the pandemic and kind of figuring all this out, um, there are going to be appropriate ways for people to come and serve alongside you and to help in that ministry. And, and so part of what we're doing in this podcast is we want people to know about this so that they can pray for you. Yes. And, and, and so that they can hold the rope over here for you. Yes. But also that in appropriate ways they can come join you and, um, and, 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 and be able to do some things that, um, that, that really make an incredible difference in, in a group of people that are just by and large, very far from, you know, from the gospel, mm-hmm. maybe another group that we, you know, we talked about and kind of alluded to earlier, that's pretty far from the gospel are, um, kids that are, you know, on the street and, and local hooligans. Yeah. Local, <laughs> local hooligans. Right. Yeah. Like they're, I mean, you know, and, and street kids, one of the, you know, you kind of look back over church history and and one of those things that the church has always kind of gotten involved in along the way is ministering to street kids and what what other people have seen as a social blight and something to minimize or get rid of um, God's people sometimes you know even for not the right reasons but we God's people have gotten involved and said okay these these kids are created in the image of God. They're they're worthy of the gospel, and and they're and they're valuable because you know because of, of who God is, and you know you're 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 in a place where you're very directly ministering to a lot of these young men that are out on the streets and kind of on their own, and 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 just really doing a very special kind of ministry with them. And so, just talk a little bit about you know like what God's doing through. Um, you know, through the, the boys club and the things that you're doing there. So when we came uh, here to had a uh, after school program and we met uh, a couple of kids and then was the, they started doing the boys club and uh, I said, oh yeah, I want to be part of that. That was in, uh, in 2019. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so then we jump in and then kind of some, for some reason, kind of leadership group kind of fallen apart and uh, it was a couple of us stay there and uh, 20 kids. Uh, and it was just been blessing because I prayed. Uh, I don't want to say God do, do your movement because I don't want to do like you know. Oh, we did something. Uh, so we, I prayed and uh, I don't invite us. Do a point for myself. I'm not gonna tell them. Hey, guys, invite your friends. I'm just not gonna do that. Yeah. 
just welcome everybody welcome so and it's funny because like every almost every other week i have a have a couple of people of personal peace they're like uh, this people magnets yeah and they're like hey i want to invite my friend it'll be okay okay yeah sure sure so it's like uh we have more and more people coming up and it's been fun uh just kind of first in the beginning was life skills we're kind of just trying to teach them uh work with your hands and even just have a conversation about life uh and then uh and of course we're training gospel and then i have a you know this revelation uh, and the sadness of uh, uh they, they hear a lot of stories they hear a story about moses they hear a story about paul they hear a story about jesus hear a story about uh someone else and the, it's like it's a lot of stories and jesus is just part of one of the stories and i thought it's just a tragedy because uh yeah he's more important because he's resurrected but otherwise we don't know why he's more important so kind of now we shift our directions like no it's it's not just a story it's everything is you know threads of uh, gospel is there because so many of them you know you coming up and you look oh do this and you're gonna be good you know, do this and you're gonna be worthy. Uh, and uh, it's just not, it's not totally true. You mm-hmm. know, like uh, how you can be a good Christian if you're gonna do 10 commandments. Well, that's not, that's not. <laughs> so uh, it's it's been fun to uh, to just, when you work with them, uh, I feel sometimes like a wife who's been beaten. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm done, I wanna quit. <laughs> and, uh, but then it's like, you're like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with you. Because God is truly kind of show my sinful nature through them. Right. Because we think sometimes, when we come to the you know god family with these beautiful kids who've been you know how you not love us right of course god love yuri right, yuri is right. the best you know the tiny baby <laughs> smells good but i think as i was forgetting i'm not a tiny baby who's looking good i'm with this hooligan from the street who got picked up and say hey come come to be right. my family so it's been i think they serve into me sometimes to my heart the appreciation what god doing to my life and how much forgiveness and that pushes me to uh, kind of okay how can we be truly uh shown you know and we talk about even uh, a lot that it it, intuitively we kind of understand about ministering to you know cute small kids you know like i mean there's this like our hearts are drawn Mm -hmm. towards small children um let's be honest like it's hard to have your heart drawn to a rebellious 16 year old who is you know mouthy and (laughs) disrespectful and 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 doing things that are offensive and all you know and so like the need for grace and the need for the need for long suffering in a, in a ministry like that is is huge and and i think you know i often along the way um you know even seeing things like little pictures of uh you know of, of you engaging with some of these guys and and like teaching them to work and teaching them how to do something with their hands and how to um, and the realization is that for most of them, they've never had anybody pay attention to them like that. You know, we, we kind of, you know, we think of it through our lens and we say, okay, we had, you know, we had dads that did that. And we had uncles and people that came around that, that took the time and were careful to, to do those things with us. And, and these kids don't even have a frame of reference for what that looks like. And so it's like, I cannot blame their parents. Because if it's single mom, yeah, she's drowning in her work and paying bills, and they just truly just there by themselves. And sure. uh, what what I'm uh, my my biggest dream in uh, turn try that's what we're trying to do is spread the fire in a local churches. Like because I understand you cannot push the church something mm-hmm. to do, and something like we cannot push anyone to do something like you know you need to do this until the God truly moves it and show the need. 
So that's what we're gonna we we'll try and I think one of the main ones to show people, hey, there's a great need and uh and they need you and they love you. Uh well and it's because it's awesome that Heritage has the space uh to provide boys club and for you to come in and help lead it and then they have other leaders and other connections it's awesome mm-hmm. don't it's get me a, wrong it's a great sure. hub it's, it's great a great hub, hub. Yeah. but what if every church in odessa said well we're gonna make a boys club right. what what if the dads in the church got together because yours notice a significant difference in the volunteers he has with him who are dads and those who are single men or maybe married without kids yeah. there's a difference and so what if we could get the dads and, and there's and there's investment and mentorship happening with the leaders, too. Right. You know, so it's a, it's kind of a twofold thing. There's leaders and you want to invest in them and ask them to multiply and bring other people alongside them to serve. But what if that was happening in the churches where a group of dads got together? You can bring your own boys if they have sons. And we have this boys club once a week. And it just at least in the churches we've talked to, it's just not catching. And we can't right. understand if it's ignorance of the problem or if it's a, a lack of desire for the mess, that's probably what's driving a lot of it. Um, or feeling like, oh, we don't have the resources. We don't have a, a workshop or we don't have a space, you know? And so you, I don't know what the challenge is. And I don't think that we're necessarily the people who are leading the, the, the march to go around mm-hmm. to all the churches and recruit. But right. if we can get those volunteers who were involved in the boys camp with, with heritage to catch that fire and bring it back to their church. I mean, it could have so much more, a a multiplied impact. And it's the same with the deaf ministry. There's only two churches where there's deaf members out of Mm -hmm. the hundreds of churches in Odessa. Well, if you want to invite deaf people to your church, then you have to be ready to to learn some sign language. I'm not saying everybody has to be fluent, but you've got to be ready to take in whoever, whoever you're you know, the least of these, the ones that Jesus was willing to take in to have the kids he had sit on his lap. I mean, that's our example. But, I, you know, I think, I think part of the, part of the reality of this is that in, in doing some of these things where we're coming alongside the church and we're asking them to do things that are really super countercultural and they're, and they're not, they're not within the norm of what the church has seen for itself for a long time. Mm-hmm. That, that there's like, we, I think we should expect that, you know, we're going to be doing things that are going to have, like, we're going to go, we're going to go deeper than we're going to go wider for a long time in just almost proving the concept, kind of showing what, you know, what ministry like this looks like, but, but it's worthy work because, because at the end of the day, we keep hammering that nail and we keep hammering that nail. And I think God uses that faithfulness to, to begin to, you know, to begin to show other people the, you know, the, the way into it. I, you know, part of it, I don't, I don't share this a lot, but part of, you know, part of my personal story is my father grew up without a father. Uh, my, my dad's, uh, my, my grandmother was widowed when my dad was nine years old and his story and his testimony was he had a couple of uncles who, um, who, when his father passed away, um, like they made it their, their point to, to, to be a father figure to him and to bring him close. And, and so he learned to captain a boat and he learned to fish and he learned to do all these things, you know, that kids that grow up on the coast learned to do that, that they would learn to do with their dads. Well, he learned them with his uncles because, because they didn't, they didn't forget about him. And, and, and I think the, the example of knowing that you you're in a culture where culture is slanted to forget about these kids, um, to, to be faithful, to not forget and to do that, but to continue to, to, to try to include the church. Um, like God will provide the increase. 
you know, at, at a point. And I, I just, I love, um, I, I just, I love the care and the attention and, and the intentionality that, that you guys go at, um, the things that the Lord has, has given you to do. And, and it's, it's just a, it's really a testimony to God's grace and his faithfulness and, and, and who the Lord is to you. And it just shines through you and your family and, and, you know, we love you. Um, so well, and I, I do want to say real quick, you know, we have, we now have four kids yep. and, um, they're all biological and, and Remy was born while we and were beautiful, there. beautiful, by the way, I'm going to throw that in. It's the Ukrainian genes. They're just so strong. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, most of our days are filled with kind of normal people things yeah. like helping the kids with school, getting them to school. The girls are at home with us. The boys are, you know, they have homework and sometimes they have an extracurricular here or there, but um, when we're able to bring our whole family to camp or when we're able to invite those deaf teens in our home, I mean, those teenagers come over, their parents never learned to sign. Mm -hmm. So they're coming to a house where they're seeing a function. I mean, I don't want to say, we, we don't know what we're doing, but sure. we're functioning. Yeah, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're a functioning family and we love yeah. each other deeply yeah. and we're deeply committed to maintaining connection with our children and they see that. And so our goal is we want to live as a family on mission and we want to show them our, our shortcomings, our sin, just as much as we want to show them like the success and the victories. Sure. And we want to give Christ all the praise for that. And so uh, it can sound very optimistic or, or, yeah. or rainbows and butterflies sometimes when we talk about a lot of these ideas and visions that God's given us. But most of our life is lived out in the context of just being a family. And so no matter where any family is, like that's the first, those are our little disciples. And then we're never, we don't want to neglect our first uh, family core of discipleship for these other things. We're not going to sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry and they're both worthy causes. But the first one we're called to is disciple our kids, but I've seen God change our kids' hearts. And two of our kids have, have trusted in Christ as their savior. And that is the greatest joy that I've ever experienced is to watch that happen and them showing an interest and being accepting of people who are different and knowing that if they go to boys club, they're going to be exposed to some maybe not great stuff, but we can come home and debrief it and talk about why we do that anyway, why we're stepping into the mess. And so I just want to encourage people who are listening, who are thinking, well, I'm never going to go to Ukraine or some other country, or maybe, you know, uh, maybe they're in the same frustration period that we were in wanting to go, wanting to adopt, wanting to do something. They're in the waiting that just living in a way that tries to honor the Lord as a family can be a ministry to other families who are struggling. And we, we've seen that over the past four years since we moved. One of the, one of my favorite kind of concepts comes from, uh, Pastor Fred Luter at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church down in down in New Orleans, and Fred. One of the things Fred talks about and, and says to his church a lot is that he, he uses the term frangelism, mm. right? Like, and he, and he says, "Look, we you know we can learn to present the gospel, and we can learn techniques and all these kind of things, but but truly, the forum in which the gospel goes forth most effectively." Is, is when we befriend people and bring them into our lives and they really get to see the truth of the gospel on display. And so our words and our deeds kind of go together. And, and I think, you know, Madison, what you're saying is, is, is just literally, it's about living out Deuteronomy 6. It's about, you know, talking about the Lord when you go in and when you come out and, and when you rise up and when you lay down and, you know, keeping those things around you and, and, that, and that the Lord's given you opportunities to take you know, these kids and, and families that are, you know, that are in situations where they've been far from the gospel and you're bringing them close to it just because you're bringing them close to you. 
Um, and that's a lesson I think we all can learn. And that may be that there's somebody listening that's saying, hey, I can go and I can I can go help you in Ukraine to do that. I can come alongside in a, a short term mission trip and, and do that. But it may be that we need to learn the lesson of there's something right here in our own community that we can do. Um, but God's God's invested something in all of us. And ultimately, um, you know, he he expects that return for his glory. Well, we could literally um, sit here all day and talk just uh, because we just um, yeah, there, there's there's just such a common heart and and a love for for similar things. But um, we just want to thank you for joining us on the Defender podcast. Um, the the mission here at Lifeline is to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphan vulnerable children, and we um, get the privilege of doing that in a lot of different ways, including um, partnering with families like the Paracotis. and uh, and we're just thankful that God has given us the the opportunity, all of us, to to be included in the family business and to get to do this. And so, um, so if we can help you or your church to to be engaged or or to do something in order to um, to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of orphan and vulnerable children or vulnerable families and, and to impact your community for Christ, we want to do that. Um, so you can find us at uh, on social media, wherever uh, you see Lifeline Child. Uh, and, and so that's at Lifeline Child on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on a whole bunch of those other things that I don't know how to use. Um, or you can find us on our website at uh, lifelinechild.org and you can email us at info at lifelinechild.org. And so we'll be back here again next week on the Defender Podcast. Herbie will be back and, uh, and, and we will be finding something uh, kind of fun to get into as we talk about what the Lord's doing uh, in, in ministry to the vulnerable around the world. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.